I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with Georgia Weedman. Georgia is the founder and CTO of Shavira and a serial entrepreneur, penetration tester, security researcher, speaker, trainer, author, and angel investor. She holds an MS in computer science as well as holding the CISSP, CEH, and OSCP certifications. Her work in the field of smartphone exploitation has been featured internationally in print and on television, including ABC World News Tonight, the New York Times, NBC Nightly News, and the Washington Post. She has presented or conducted training around the world, including venues such as the NSA, West Point, and Black Hat. She was awarded a DARPA Cyber Fast Track grant for her work in mobile device security, which accumulated into the release of the open source project, the Smartphone Pen Test Framework, or SPF. She's the author of Penetration Testing, a hands-on introduction to hacking, and the recipient of the 2015 Women's Society of Cyber Jutsu Pen Test Ninja Award. In this episode, we discuss her early red team days, where to get direction when starting in the industry, pen testing steps, founding a startup, mobile device security, cybersecurity line repellent, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Georgia, thanks for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I've been uh, following you for some time and always thinking, you know, I got to uh, gotta get you on the show. So thanks for, uh, thanks for being available. So tell me a little bit about your background. You seem to have kind of an interesting you know, background going through a bunch of different things to where you got now, but kind of set us up for how you really kind of got into the industry that we now call cybersecurity and everything that, I guess, comes along with that. Well, it's funny because I keep getting in trouble for, like, telling the true story, but, you know, I've said it so many times I can't change it now. So anyway, I'll tell you when I get to the part that people get mad about. But she anyway. Um so I went to college early at 14, so after the eighth grade, so I had no idea what I wanted to do. But my mom was a computer scientist, and my dad was a physicist, and like any teenager, I didn't want to be like my parents, but um, I went in the middle and I did math, so kind of halfway between the two, if you will. Um, and then I was doing grad school in math, you know, and I guess at some point I realized it was, you know, I wasn't going to be like sitting around at the Institute for Advanced Study, like writing on chalkboards. I was going to be like teaching undergrads how to do calculus, like undergrads who don't care. Um, so I guess I had a crisis of faith and it was like, okay, I'm 18. I have a degree. I don't have any work experience. So I can either like go to grad school anywhere that will take me or I can go home and live with my parents, which I didn't want to do what 18 year old does. Um, of course, much later when I was starting my companies, it was like living with parents on like great idea, no rent. Um, but anyway, um, so I went to, I got an offer to do uh, grad school in computer science. So, you know, I, I bit the bullet if you will, and became like my mother as we all do, I guess, as we grow up. And uh, so they had a cyber defense club, and this is the part that 
you know, people are like, oh, people are going to make fun of you for this. But it's like, oh, well, whatever. Um, so the captain of the Cyber Defense Club was like, you know, really hot, I thought. And uh, I kind of wanted to get to know him better and what better way than to uh, join his club. Um, I did not get the guy, but the next year I was captain of the Cyber Defense Club and we did the Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition, which is basically a weekend of torture for students to learn about more the defensive side, but they had a red team, um, which is, you know, the, they're pen testers by day, you know, red team people by day. Um, and they come and kind of have a no holds barred weekend to like wreak destruction on these students. And the real goal is to make students cry and vomit. But I knew by the end of the first competition that I definitely didn't want to be a defender because crying and vomiting sucks. But I, I did want to be like the red team. I, you know, one of the red team members, this seemed really profound to me at the time. I mean, he was just using like, you know, nuclear rat or poison ivy or something, you know, with a basic exploit. Like it was probably MSO8067 that like threw it on there, like basic stuff. But as someone who was really new to it, it was just so exciting to me that like he kept putting these pop-up boxes that said, I like turtles on my machine. And I just didn't know how he did it. And I knew that I wanted to learn how to do stuff like that. And now of course I know that that's not like, you know, that's hardly a zero day, <laughs> but <laughs> it seemed exciting at the time. <laughs> That'd be great. You know, at, at part of your pen test engagement, say, well, look, you know, I, I know we've pwned the system when I, I get all the users to have pop-ups to say, I like turtles on it. I mean, that's, that's really total ponage at that point. Yeah, I mean, like in real pen testing, we do quite the opposite. Yeah. We don't want to get caught, but I mean, with that, it was like you wanted them to see the. I mean, that at least that. I don't know if that it was thought out that way. I mean, probably not actually at that point because it was really early on in the competition. Like I think that was like year two when collegiate cyber defense competitions started happening. But uh, I mean, I think they've realized as time goes on. At least some of them have that. You know, the red team is really, you know, there to be aspirational for the students. I mean, yes, they're there to wreck things, but they're there to encourage the students to, you know, want to pursue that kind of career. Right, right. Well, you know, that goes a little bit of what you're talking about, some of the, the kind of pen testing you do. Now you've actually, uh, you know, you wrote a book, you know, pen testing, hands-on introduction to hacking. What, what kind of drew you to become an author amongst all the other things that one could do and contribute to the uh, community? Well... You know, before I was going to be a mathematician and I guess after I was going to be a professional chess player, um, I really wanted to be a novelist. I mean, I, I guess I still kind of do. I wrote a, a draft of a novel like when I first got a job and was doing like nine to five plus commute like on the metro. I was like, OK, I'm going to be a writer just to get out of this life. And I wrote a draft of a novel. It, I, I don't know if it was any good or not, but it certainly didn't go anywhere. Um, so I always wanted to be a writer. So when I got like the email from No Starch, who is my publisher, No Starch Press, um, asking if I wanted to write a book, I was like, yes, absolutely, I do. But I think since my research area has always primarily been uh, mobile, they probably expected I was going to want to write a mobile book, but I was, I was very adamant that I wanted to write, you know, an introduction to pen testing book. I wanted to write the kind of book that I wished I had, 
you know, I did, you know, the offensive security certified professional, like is like, you know, for whatever reason, like in the community considered the gold standard. I mean, I really, from a, I guess from now a business owner perspective, I get it that like they won't help you because if they helped you instead of like saying try harder, they'd have to pay people to help you. And um, so I get that. But I think like, you know, for beginners, which, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, for people just getting into the industry, like unless you know people, which, you know, I was lucky when I was trying to do my OSCP that I knew like people who were on the red team at CCDC when I did it and I could ask them questions um, to get help with like the labs, you know, to prepare for the test. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of people don't have that. I mean, a lot of people don't have that community. So yeah. I really wanted to write a book that could fill in that gap for somebody who really maybe has never even used Linux before. Like so much of it's certainly gotten better in time. But I mean, so much of what's out there on the Internet or you know, in books and, you know, in classes, they, they expect so much background. And I really wanted to have a way to like fill that in for people. And at least based on the comments I've gotten from people who say that, you know, my book is the only reason they were able to get a job. I think it's worked out pretty well. Yeah. You know, I think there's, that. that's a great point. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of information out there, a lot of places to get started, but there's, it's really hard to find that, um, you know, direction when you're starting. And I think for a lot of us have been doing it a while. It's like, yeah, we want to get behind that mantra. Of, yeah, just try harder. Google it. We all had to do it. There wasn't books, but it doesn't really scale well. It's really hard to kind of continue to develop uh, staff and particularly as you're saying as a business owner, myself as a prior business owner, now a practice leader, it's trying to get, find that talent. It's really hard when they're like, you know, and you find some good junior people and their children finding out where, where to even get more information. You can't just say, just Google it. You need some kind of roadmap. Yeah, for sure. And, and one of the things that, you know, I know this is a good point too, is, you know, if you look at like, that, yeah, the whole Kali list of tools, it's, a, you know, there's so many to pick off of and, and where to go. But I, I'm imagining with the way that you brought it in the book was, you know, a lot of, and I have, I've seen the book, but I'm saying you know, kind of draw this out a little bit that there's a, there's a process here that it's just not, you know, you fire up Kali and you just start launching, you know, metadata, metadata, <laughs> zero days and random attacks just on, on, on targets. Like there's a, pr a procedure and a process here. And I think too often that, that pen testers and ethical hackers get this, uh, there, you know, there's, there's no, there's no rules and no bounds to them, but kind of step us through a little bit of how you would, you know, kind of coach somebody that's starting that here's the steps that you take to really kind of go through a pen testing engagement. Well, um, I mean, in the book we do, you know, information gathering about the target and then we do, you know, looking for vulnerabilities. And I guess I should mention, you know, there are targets, um, you set up, your virtual lab. We're actually, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, you're the first person to hear this, um, launching, because um, I am working on a book too, which is going to have an online lab associated with it, but we decided, you know, to kind of beta it with book one. So we're actually going to put the book one lab online. It's almost done. So you're, like I said, you're the first person I, I have told this to besides, you know, my intimate circle. Um, <laughs> Anyway, um, so, yeah, you have your lab machines, and, yeah, you gather information, you look for vulnerabilities, you do, you know, exploitation. I mean, you're lucky in a lab environment that, you know, if you mess up, 
you know, it doesn't matter. You can just reset the VM. So you can, you know, play around with it. You know, we do post-exploitation. There isn't actually a reporting chapter, which was, I feel like, a mistake on my part. And in book two, there definitely will be a reporting chapter because, you know, reporting is the most important part of pen testing. Um, You know, we also do uh, wireless. We do web application. um, We do some exploit development. Um, so we do, you know, some other pieces of of a pen test, you know, some social engineering. So, you know, it's not just network pen testing. We try and do a little bit of everything. And I noticed with some of the things that you developed too, um, and correct me if I'm saying it wrong because I've only read it, but uh, Shivara, which is the mobile penetration testing software, kind of how did that come about to focus on mobile devices than maybe your standard enterprise infrastructure and endpoints? Um, well, nobody can pronounce it. Um, it's called, it's actually Shavira. Shavira, okay, got it. Yeah, (laughs) um, but really, well, in order to actually, like, see how it's really supposed to be pronounced, you have to ask someone who speaks Hebrew, because even Shavira isn't actually correct. Gotcha. But it's, like, as close as, like, you know, Anglican speakers can can get. (laughs) Um, basically, well, as for the name, it was, like, uh, I was applying to an accelerator um, called Mach 37 for startups, which, you know, all I knew about startups was the Facebook movie. So this was going to be a great idea, obviously. But uh, um, basically, I had to have a name. So uh, that was, you know, I was uh, tooling around on the Internet trying to find, like, something. And uh, Shabira means the creation or the destruction that makes way for harmonious creation. It's like, well, that's pen testing. So forget how hard it is to spell or say, that's my company name. So there. Um, but for, yeah, from like a marketing perspective, I, I hardly could have done worse. <laughs> um, but anyway, it actually started as uh, a DARPA Cyber Fast Track grant, you know, back when um, Mudge, you know, from the original mm-hmm. like Loft was at DARPA and, you know, was giving out grants, you know, you know, most government grants, you basically have to, you know, have someone whose whole job is to know how to write government grants. But like these grants were a lot easier. Um, you know, someone, you know, moderately literate could, could figure it out. Um, and so I got the DARPA Cyber Fast Track grant and I built something called the Smartphone Pen Test Framework, which was an open source toolkit for, you know, testing mobile devices. You know, there was, you know, social engineering and client-side attacks and uh, simulated malware and things like that. Um, and, you know, the kinds of ways that you would attack any device, be it a phone or, a, you know, a PC. But, but uh, I just really felt like and I still feel that, you know, we're really ignoring in our pen tests are, you know, BYODs or corporate issued phones um, that are, you know, either VPN in or in, you know, there's a lot of the smaller business. They're just on the Wi-Fi mm-hmm. and they're just another node that can connect to anything. So if it's compromised, you know, it, and some other box in your network has, you know, like the eternal blue vulnerability, the phone that's compromised can throw that and get into, you know, your your big nasty like customer database stuff that you really don't want getting out or what have you. So yeah, I, I guess, you know, I had my small business bulb security, which I still have where I, I do consulting and whatnot. Um, but I really wanted to take, you know, the smartphone pen test framework to the next level and, you know, try to, you know, you know, like Nessus did it. Um, 
you know, a bunch of people, I mean, Metasploit before they got bought by Rapid7. I mean, there's a long history of, you know, community tools becoming also products, but yet still, you know, supporting the community. And that's really what I wanted to do. But I, you know, didn't have much of a business background. I'd been flying by the seat of my pants and somehow managing to survive. So I went to the Mach 37 Accelerator, you know, to learn about business and somehow got like, you know, sucked into this whole startup thing, which I'm kind of on the fence about whether that was a good idea or not. But uh, yeah, so now we have, you know, a professional edition. We still have a, a free community edition, you know, for researchers and for the community. I was unwilling to give that up. But uh, yeah, we have a professional edition. But, uh, you know, and we do a lot of, you know, mobile phishing. We've got a lot of clients that want to like bring text message or, you know, WhatsApp, Twitter, um, near field communication, QR codes, a lot of the things besides email into their, you know, phishing or security awareness training. Um, you know, we do do uh, mobile pen testing still. We also have found, you know, a real niche that um, I think finally we live in an interesting time that, you know, I think as mobile came up, especially because we already had a line item for the BlackBerry Bez. So when Blackberries were going away and iPhone and Android were taking their place, there was even a line item for, you know, something to manage the, the uh, mobile devices because that budget was already there for the Bez. Um, mm. So, you know, basically everybody wouldn't put mobile in front of the name of their product. You know, we've got, you know, MDM, mobile antivirus, um, enterprise mobility management, now mobile threat defense or mobile threat detection, depending on what you want to call it. I mean, we've got all these preventative things for mobile. Absolutely, you know, take your pick. Um, but, you know, we haven't really ever, one, understood what the risks are around mobile. And they do vary from, you know, enterprise setup to enterprise setup. You know, if you're if you're the small business with, you know, anybody's phone that they want to bring in on the Wi-Fi, you know, your risk profile is very different than, you know, if they uh, are only, you know, VPNing into like a separate VLAN and can only access like, you know, email and SharePoint. Um, so, you know, there's not really a one-size-fits-all for that. And, you know, in a lot of cases, like, I mean, the example I like to use is like jailbreak detection, pretty much everything says it does jailbreak detection, but most of the products, they're only detecting whether the Cydia app is there. If you jailbreak your own phone, absolutely, you know, you install the Cydia app, that's part of the package. But if an attacker uses the exploits in a jailbreak to say, steal your, your Apple keychain. um, they don't really care about Cydia, so then it would not be detected by most of the products. I mean, that's just an example. So, you know, we've really found a niche of, you know, helping companies either, you know, decide what products they need or, you know, if they've already invested in these products, if they're really providing them value. You know, when you kind of step back and, you know, kind of unpack a few things there, but, you know, they're, they're obviously – there's – the kind of preventative things that folks can do that are just good old fashioned network segmentation, you know, of, um, you know, putting these mobile devices on their own VLAN certificating them in some way that keeps them segregated. Um, you know, and then there's just the element of them, you know, having a lot of connectivity and now we're seeing office 365 apps, everything that can be put on them, Dropbox, you know, they can, they can easily open, 
documents and other types of files. I mean, are, are we, you know, what I always curious about when, when we do from the detection side is, you know, what's out there that we're not seeing? Um, and is it that we don't hear about widespread issues because maybe people aren't really thinking about these mobile devices seriously enough, even though they're so prevalent in environments, that there could be things happening that we may just not be detecting at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's definitely gotten better. I mean, we can thank, like, you know, NSO Group and, uh, you know, their Pegasus and Chimera and all that for that, that, you know, there are things in the news, at least now, that people are hearing about, you know, mobile devices um, are being, you know, compromised. Um, so it is getting better. But, I mean, a lot of the times, for a long time, and it it was kind of like, well, there were zero breaches due to mobile, and it was like, well, are you doing any, you know, intrusion detection on mobile attacks? Well, no, and it's like, well, that would probably explain why the number is zero if you're not actually looking. And I mean, some of this stuff is coming in through the mobile modem or hitting, you know, or the any the Wi-Fi chip, and you know, it's stuff that you know our intrusion detection or intrusion prevention or what have you is not or data loss prevention even, I mean, if it's going out through the mobile modem instead of through, you know, the, the connection, the, uh, you know, I regular connection, the data loss prevention isn't going to see it. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's probably happening that and I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, obviously like, you know, every business is not currently under attack via their mobile devices. That's not at all what I'm saying, but I'm just saying that like, you know, your your more you know high priority targets. You know that is something they need to be worrying about. And you know down the line, I think it's going to be something that you know we're going to have to worry about as much as you know like Eternal Blue type things that we saw a lot of last year with you know like WannaCry type malware. Yeah, it's always that kind of feeling where people like, okay, we, we solved this problem, and it's like, okay, but now you have to get on to the next one. There's going to be mobile devices, IoT, things that you put in the environment, they're going to have their own set of challenges. So you're kind of looking forward to that outside of just mobile devices. And what are some of the things that you can kind of look back and say, okay, well, you know, where we are today, we might not have thought this was an issue. Uh, so now looking forward, what are those things that you think that might be on you know, kind of the horizon of those other types of things that people have to consider that are potential security vulnerabilities and threats? Well, I think like the biggest thing is that we've been kind of spoiled by, you know, the idea that, you know, we have a perimeter to our network, you know, we can see things going in and going out, you know, if somebody gets fished in order for the attacker to get data out that they want, it has to cross our perimeter um, and that's where we've put, you know, a lot of our preventative technologies, you know, that's where our next gen firewall is, that's where our data loss prevention is. I mean, I mean, there is some host based stuff, but primarily, you know, we, we really focus on that perimeter and that makes sense. That's, you know, where the bad guys coming in and out. I mean, aside from, you know, destroying the place with like ransomware, you know, they can't really get get to us, um, you know, without crossing that perimeter, they can't take the data out. But, you know, you bring these mobile and, you know, as you mentioned, IoT, which really, you know, plays into the same thing. I really think mobile IoT and cloud stuff are really, you know, the things that, you know, make these new challenges. But, um, you know, they they have mobile modems. They speak Zigbee. They do Bluetooth. They, you know, they talk to all this other stuff that um, 
isn't passing that perimeter. So all of that security that we have in place, it doesn't help at all with that. So we've kind of had to start over. Yeah, and you actually you, you said the you know the the c word you know cloud is is kind of a still a, a interesting subject you know where so many organizations say now we're not going to move to the cloud and when you talk to them they're they're either already moved parts of their mail platform storage backup they're using the cloud more than they think um, but you know where do you think the the kind of disconnect is with maybe CIOs and CISOs are saying. You know, we're not ready for the cloud, but also not really recognize that they're they're even using it. How, how do we get them to maybe adopt it and then maybe look at some of those other risks risks that come in with even using that platform? Yeah, I mean, it's it is interesting. You know, people say they don't use the cloud, but like they use, you know, Salesforce.com or Dropbox or Office 365 or Google Apps. And I mean, I I mean, even if they don't have like, you know, AWS um, servers. They're, I mean, there are still, they have services that are running in the cloud that have, you know, their corporate information on them. And very much like the problems we run into with, you know, bring your own device where, you know, the security or IT team does not own the device is not like, you know, in the know completely about its security posture. Um, it's the same sort of thing. I think with the cloud, it really plays in really well. You know, if, if, heaven forbid one of those sites gets hacked, um, then, you know, your corporate data, whatever corporate data you have there is potentially compromised. And, you know, you as the security team of company X, if, you know, company Y gets hacked, um, where you have your data in the, in the cloud, I mean, you know, it's not anything you could have prevented. You're not, you know, in charge of securing their, their machines. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of still see the cloud as like this magic cloud out in the, in heaven or something, but it's like, it's just a bunch of boxes out there. I mean, they might be vulnerable to eternal blue. They might have open SSH, like, you know, with password as password, you know, mm-hmm. you just don't know. So it's, it's kind of scary for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, with, with that too, you, you wrote an interesting piece on medium, um, you know, called cybersecurity line repellent and, you know, kind of touching on some of the common issues, at least the common that I would say that, you know, we, we see time and again that you know, there's still issues with phishing, patching, a lot of the same problems exist. I mean, even when you look at exploits that are, that are used in a majority of the breaches, 99% of them are, are known uh, vulnerabilities. Um, but we still run in this issue, particularly as we're, we're coming up in RSA season where, you know, the, uh, the magic silver bullets start coming out and being sold that they're, they're not always going to be these, uh, these single solution answers. And, and you kind of brought up some good points. I kind of want maybe you can touch on about, you know, what, how to approach some of the vendors and, and folks that are selling security solutions. Well, it's funny that post actually was originally a talk that I gave. I, I got asked, I guess, to be the cybersecurity expert at this, this, I'm not sure if it was, I'm not really sure what the point of the conference was, but it was like a bunch of experts getting together. And then I guess people paid to go see experts. I guess that's what all conferences are supposed to be. But (laughs) I'm used to going to ones that are like hacker conferences. But this was a, it was really interesting because I got to learn about a lot of stuff that I didn't know that much about. Um, But you know, I, I kind of had to do it from a more, you know, 30,000 feet. 
um, than I typically do in a talk because, you know, these were people that, that were not cybersecurity people. Um, but yeah, particularly about, um, the vendors, it's, I, you know, I really have a, a hard time with it and I know it, I mean, this is how the world works, but you know, the vendors that, you know, are making it or making it big or getting the big clients are the ones with the, you know, best marketing department and the marketing, I mean, it's, you go down the rows at RSA and, you know, they'll all tell you that. Um, you know, if you install our product, you won't have any problems with the security stuff anymore, which, you know, nobody can catch everything. That's absurd. But, you know, worse than the fact that, you know, their stuff is going to get past their product, I think it it uh, instills a false sense of security in a lot of these companies um, that, you know, they have done their due diligence by turning on this box so they don't really have to worry about defense in depth. They don't have to worry about patching. They don't have to worry about fishing. They don't have to worry about this stuff because they have, you know, the, as I call it in the post, like the silver bullet 3000 trademark or whatever. Um, so I think, I mean, not only are they lying, but they're making, you know, they're doing a disservice to their customers. Yeah, and it's 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 sad because and you know I, I can't think of how many environments I've gone into, do assessments and there's you know it's almost like a junkyard of half implemented solutions that never really got the over the you know over the goal line, and you got this poor guy that's either director of security and trying to say look you know we we spend all this money now there's kind of a bad taste in their mouth because we we have these things that are not totally in place and they don't want to spend more money. And you, you kind of empathize with these guys. Like, what? Where, how do you kind of dig somebody out on that? So you know, how are some of the things that we can help as a community to kind of prevent these kind of cycles of buying, half implementing, and then getting around to the next year of getting another budget and trying to buy something different? Well, I mean, I think, you know, we really do need to, and I mean, even people who are in the preventative security business, and I mean, that's a lot of what I'm trying to do, trying to make partnerships with people who are in the preventative security business, because I get it. Like, you know, it's a much harder sell for me to say, okay, if you buy my product, you can find out what your vulnerabilities are and get recommendations to fix them. When, you know, somebody in the mobile threat defense space say, well, if you install our product, we'll catch 100% of any of the attacks against you. All your devices will be completely secure. I mean, short of being like a security expert, like with a capital E, I would absolutely buy the other one. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, the people on the preventative side need to get on board with the idea that, you know, we do need, you know, a security testing component that, you know, people need to, you know, understand what their risks are, do impact analysis and, you know, recognize that, you know, they're they're not a silver bullet, but, you know, we can bring the risk and the impact down as much as we can. So, you know, if the preventative product people would advocate for, you know, the penetration testing and, and simulations and things like that, I think that would go a long way. 
Do you ever think it, it, it is a problem with the language used here? And, I, and look, I, I'm the podcast is called Cybersecurity Interviews. I, I've honed on to the word cyber as much as anyone else. But in the, in the end of it, if kind of what you touch on is just it's risk management. And it's a way less sexy term in ways to sell things when it comes to this industry. But is it, do we just basically have to really kind of bite it and say, look, we, we need to really kind of change some of the language we use about what cyber versus really just being a risk management along the business? Yeah, I mean, I think that would help. I mean, I think, I mean, most people do seem to think, and why wouldn't they? And I think that's another problem that we have is that, you know, in order to do, even as like an end user with, you know, their laptop and their, you know, wireless and maybe a couple of IoT things that were cool and and their phone, like in order to like, even with like, you know, reasonable security use their home network, you basically got to be a security expert. Like, take my parents, for instance. I mean, these are smart people. You know, my mom has a PhD in computer science. My dad's, like, a nuclear physicist. These are not dumb people. But, you know, their ideas of, like, what they should be doing about security are just bizarre. Like, you know, my dad doesn't want to put the printer on the network because of the hackers. But, you know, you look at his, like, you know, uh, toolbars on his browser and it's like he's got 1500 of them and my mom's constantly getting viruses on her computer um, and I mean these are smart people and uh, if we can't do better than that it's just really tragic so I think I mean to your point yes I think you know we need to move away from this idea of you know this that what we're selling are silver bullets um, which I realize is going to be a really hard sell because, you know, a lot of people are making a lot of money. Um, and, you know, that's what business is for. After all, this is cybersecurity is not, in fact, a philanthropy organization. Um, but, I mean, also, I think, you know, we really need to work on, like, usability of, you know, security in general. And I mean, I'm the worst offender. I mean, my stuff is, it can, is, is incredibly difficult to set up and we just fixed that as well. You know, we're fixing all these things, you know, we put like a sandbox where it's already set up for you. Um, but you know, making it possible for people to be, I mean, obviously not perfectly secure, but like, you know, not completely exposed in so many ways, unless they, spend a lot of time and effort learning about security. You know, I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to know how to like take apart a car engine and fix it in order to drive. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> you just need it but, to work. <laughs> yeah. But inside, I feel like to use the internet these days, you have to become like very knowledgeable about security. And that's not really, we've, we're doing, we're not doing our job if that's the case. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. It was funny. My, my wife was, I've, I've got her on Office 365 and a tenant I managed for her. And I flipped some two, uh, some two factor things on her the other day. And all of a sudden she couldn't log in her Outlook and called me up. She's like, yeah, I just need to get my email. Why isn't this working? I'm like, no, it's security. We need, and I was like, I know it's, it shouldn't be this hard. Uh, and this many hurdles to get over and require me to take, you know, 20 minutes to reconfigure Outlook and a couple other settings just so she doesn't try to get you know, it doesn't have somebody try to fish her uh, or her passwords. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just the setup uh, and efforts that the end user has to take upon themselves to configure their own security just seems to be, uh, still seems to be an issue. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now talk to me a little bit about, you know, so you're, you're, 
you're obviously passionate about cybersecurity and, and infosec. Why would you go into the crazy route of saying I'm gonna I'm gonna start a business? And that, trust me, I've been there. I've I've now started a good, I think five six businesses I've gone over time. But there there's something uh, masochistic about it at a certain point, but exciting and, and at the same at the same time. What you know what kind of flips that switch where you say hey I really want to kind of hang my own shingle and, and go out on the own, on your own? Well, I was almost kind of forced into it originally, and I was young and dumb enough to think it was a good idea. Um, not sure if I still believe that. Um, but basically when I got my DARPA cyber fast track grant, I was working as a pen testing consultant and basically they said, turn it down, give it to us or leave. So I left and started my own little LLC and, you know, started doing, you know, security training and pen testing and, you know, I did subcontracting where I could or, you know, when people, you know, when I was like, able to get like, you know, direct, I, you know, did it. I mean, I didn't know anything about running a business like a zero, nothing zilch. Like, like, uh, for instance, I guess the first thing that I had to do, um, was, you know, to get my first check from DARPA, I had to send them an invoice and I didn't know what that was like that. Uh, I mean, that was really how, like, unqualified I was to run a business. But, um, you know, I got some good help and read some good books and, uh, you know, have managed to keep it afloat this long. Um, and But then, you know, starting the second business, you know, and taking on investment and, you know, everything that goes with it, you know, it's, uh, the rules seem a lot easier for, like, you know, a single entity LLC than I do with like a Delaware C Corp. This is a whole nother set of like crazy. Um, I don't know. Maybe I just have bad judgment, but, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I think about it cause it's like, um, you know, I guess as a business owner, I mean, I'm working on so many different things. Like, you know, I have to go like meet with people to try and sell them stuff. You know, you got to sell people stuff in order to stay in business. Um, you know, doing development, uh, you know, doing research, working on the second edition of my book. I mean, I'm working on so many different things. And sometimes I'm like, you know, if I had a job like in the research department of some company where my entire job was to like, do research so they because I mean these people are all paid by the PR department let's be honest you know that would be like my entire job and I would just get a paycheck just for doing stuff that I found fun all the time so you know it definitely does have a, a hint of masochism to it <laughs> but they tell me at least with like the startup stuff that there is a possibility that I will come out of this with a lot of money <laughs> well that's always the uh the you know the carrot they dangle it's like yeah no no you're you're out on your own and it's it's one of those funny things everybody always thinks oh i can go do that but i, I don't think they realize what's involved like you even said the, the corporate structure the financing the back end it's it's a decent amount of work so how how do you find the time in 24 hours a day to prioritize those efforts uh i am probably legally insane uh, <laughs> from like i mean i mean you can't do it all i mean i think you know before i did the startup you know, I always prided myself on getting everything done on time. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. And I guess that was something, you know, I had to learn and, you know, and 
meeting other startup founders and such and realizing that, you know, the world doesn't end if something is like a couple days late, like the world is a little more forgiving than that. That was very helpful. Yeah. I've had a number of founders on and it, that seems to be the, 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 the theme for a lot of folks that have been founders in cybersecurity is like, yeah, we, we don't know. We had figured out a lot. And it'll, you know, I think the testament to that and the, the correlation, you know, maybe I have enough statistical uh, sample size now is that, it's part of being that problem solver of being a pen tester or somewhere in, in security that you're constantly throwing curveballs of things you don't know. It's not like, you know, you're working on exploits that might be unknown. Half the time the computers don't turn out on the right way <laughs> when you're trying yeah. to run your test by. So you're constantly in that problem solving mode that I almost think it helps equip you to be an entrepreneur in a certain way, because that's you kind of wire yourself for that. That could be, I mean, it also could be that like, you know, the people at Mach 37, like, you know, put papers in front of me that I didn't understand and told me to sign them. And then all of a sudden I was a startup founder and then it was okay. I guess we got to <laughs> do this now. Now you're involved. Yeah. Now you're invested. You got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Now my IP is in this company. My life's work is in this company. So I have no choice but to, you know, sail this ship until, there's nothing left. So, it, so if you had to give, so if somebody came to say, hey, look, I'm, I'm about to start this new cybersecurity company, uh, Silver Bullet, whatever. Uh, you know, if, if, they, if you gave them like one piece of advice for, for doing a startup, what would, that, uh, what would that advice be? Well, I mean, it would really depend on the type of person because, I mean, I feel like, you know, the accelerator that I went to, Mach 37, was very much geared towards you know, technical founders, you know, give, getting them, you know, the business acumen in order to pull this off. Whereas, you know, more traditionally it's, um, you know, the business oriented person. And then, you know, they hire some technical people that do the, the technical things. And, um, so, I mean, if it was if somebody who had, you know, the social skills and whatnot to be really good at like the sales and the VC, stuff and all that then you know I'd say go for it you know if it was a technical person who really you know just enjoyed you know doing the technical stuff I tell them to think long and hard about it because <laughs> there's going to be a lot of time that you're not going to be doing the technical stuff you're going to be stuck at some like you know co cocktail party with all these like investor types and I mean if you go to any of these security conferences right you know they have the big parties and whatnot and it's like you know everybody's standing in the corner and nobody's dancing and you know nobody's interacting with each other because that's just you know what us nerds are like but you can't really be like that and uh you know get your product sold to people so I would say you know you'd have to look at I, I my advice would be you know kind of do a a SWOT analysis on yourself to see whether you know this was really something that you would want to do and you, that you thought you could do successfully and you know if you do want to do it but you really see gaps in yourself you know see if you can find you know early hires or co-founders that really fill in those gaps for you yeah that's great advice well, uh, where, where can people find you on the interwebs? What are some of the, the places you hang out online? Um, well, I am at, you know, just my name, Georgia Weedman, on Twitter. Um, 
That's probably the main place. Um, you know, uh, Georgia at Bulb Security. That's B-U-L-B security.com is my easier to say and spell email address. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm almost a Luddite when it comes to like, you know, Slack and things like that. <laughs> it's like, leave me alone, people. Um, people always want to use all this weird stuff. I mean, I, I do have the Signal app and things like that, but um, yeah, Twitter or email or stuff like that is probably the easiest way. And gotcha. uh, so, so the the book that you've been working on, we should we expect it this year? I hope so. I would really like to have it launch at a you know hacker summer camp at, at Black Hat and DefCon. I mean, the editing process is the longest part, is what I think people who haven't been authors before don't realize is that, you know, yeah, the editing process is really long. Um, but I'm really hopeful that that we'll have it out. Well, great. I appreciate you uh, taking the time today. And I'll be sure to put uh, those links for you where you are on the show notes. But uh, again, thanks so much for taking the time. And I uh, really appreciate the, uh, the insight. Well, you know, I didn't even tell you, like, uh, we'll put in Shavira.com as, like, you know, the website in there, too. See, this is why I shouldn't be a startup founder. <laughs> I am that bad at marketing. I don't even mention my own website. <laughs> well, that's what I'm here for. I'll make sure all that gets into the show notes so people can definitely see it because it's it is a lot to uh, lot to to manage probably with the with the rest of the stuff you have on a, a daily basis. So, <laughs> all right, Georgia. Well, thanks so much. Well, thank you. That was fun. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.